I have thoroughly enjoyed what I've heard since I've been here. Brother Sarton uh, certainly was on target this morning. I appreciate that kind of preaching. I appreciate men that can preach with a burden and with a compassion and uh, cause us all to realize where we are. I'm going to turn to the book of uh, 1 Kings, if you'd like to be turning there. <clears throat> I want to say how honored and privileged it is for me to be here in the Louisiana district with Brother Tenney, your superintendent, and then, of course, Brother Simpkins, the presbyter of this section, Brother Cox, the host pastor. And uh, this is not a strange place for me. In fact, it was... Uh, Many, many years ago, when the Lord uh, put a call upon my life as a young man, it was the Bogalusa Bible Conference where I always looked forward to those times of uh, trying to prepare myself to better do the work of the Lord. And uh, it's true, the church that I was out of was in the Louisiana district, even though it was in Mississippi, it was uh, fellowshipping with this district and has been for a hundred years, more or less, <clears throat> still are. And uh, we're so glad that we could be here, and I'm glad that uh, I'm here among friends. What I have to preach to you today, I hope that you can share my heartbeat. First Kings chapter 18. I might have told you 19, but I'm in 18. Did I tell you where it was? First Kings. I'm sorry. First Kings chapter 18, and I'm going to use some very familiar <clears throat> scriptures. You've uh, heard them many, many times, but I feel like the Lord has put something in my heart from these verses, and I want to share it with you. If you'll help me preach today, I'll give it my best. First Kings chapter 18 and verse 41. <clears throat> And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea, and he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, Behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, Go up, say unto Ahab, Prepare thy chariot, get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Go back to verse 43. And this may seem a little bit strange, but the Elijah said to his servant, Go and look toward the sea. And the servant came back with these words and said, There is nothing. 
And Elijah said, Go again. Now I'm going to preach to you by the help of the Lord today from this thought. Faith when there's room for doubt. Faith when there's room for doubt. Would you say it with me? Faith when there's room for doubt. Pray and ask the Lord to bless his word to our hearts. Father, I thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the word of God. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, and you may be seated. God bless you. Okay, thank you. Now, I promise you I will, uh, I will endeavor to get the message across that I feel in my heart in the allotted time, and I will not infringe on Brother Crabtree's time. I'm really looking forward to hearing Brother Crabtree teach today great man, the superintendent of Florida, and I know you've enjoyed his ministry throughout this week. But I want you to notice with me in the scripture reading that I read to you today that Elijah simply made the statement to the servant, go and look toward the sea, and he went, and he looked, and he came back with a report that there is nothing Faith refuses to allow the report to be final. And even though it may be faced with a lack of evidence, faith contends that I will draw my conclusion not by what I see, but what lies beyond what I can see. It was when Spain was uh, the determining world power that on their coat of arms they put the words, and I may not be pronouncing those words right, but it's ni plus ultra in my way of pronouncing it, N-E-P-L-U-S-U-L-T-R-A, which simply meant that there is nothing beyond. At that particular time, they, through their military genius, through their strategy, through their power, they were able to conquer the then-known world. But there was a man with a bold, determining spirit by the name of Columbus that came and said, I refuse to allow the limitations to be set to tell me that there is nothing but mystery and ignorance beyond a certain point from the Spanish Empire. And so you know the rest of the story, that Columbus discovered the new world because there was something within him that refused to listen to the reports and to say that it's final. I think we're living in a day of expert observation, and I think all of you would agree with me on that. There's specialists in every area, and when it comes to the medical profession, they tell me that they have specialists and they have general practitioners. They say the general practitioner is the man that learns less and less about more and more till he knows nothing about everything. The specialist is the man that learns more and more about less and less, and he knows everything about nothing. And that's about the way a lot of it fits together. But we're living in a day that, uh, of expert observation. 
Men were never more sure of what they could or they could not see and what they did or did not know. We're living in a day that modern technology has brought us to exploring the invisible worlds. Through the powerful telescopes that we have, they tell me I have a, an article from the Memphis Press Cemetery that said through a 300-inch telescope that they had looked beyond the galaxy of our universe, and out there somewhere they found another one. And it would take you a hundred years traveling at the speed of light to get from one to the other. But they said beyond that they found even more, and up to 10 billion other galaxies. That staggers the human mind. It's just kind of that endless thing on and on. The further you go, the more you find. Uh, just recently I read an article where that through the modern means of laser, through the uh, microscopic uh, engraving process, that they are able now to engrave an entire encyclopedia on the head of a straight pen. An entire encyclopedia. Uh, that's too much for us. It's too much for us to comprehend, but that's the modern day that we're living in. My wife went into the hospital for some tests, and they said to her, we want you to drink this milkshake. And she said it was uh, not the type milkshake she'd been accustomed to drinking. It tasted just a little bit differently from what she had been accustomed to. But while she was drinking that milkshake, through the uh, machinery that they had, they were able to watch the path of that drink as it went down into the stomach area and down into the intestines, and she lay there and she watched it as it began to go down through there. Uh, modern technology has brought us a long way, and, and I appreciated the statements that were made by uh, Brother Sarton and also Brother Tinney as it relates to our experience with God, that in a modern technological age, that uh, if there is a deep-seated love in your heart, regardless of inventions, men are going to keep their purity and their integrity before God. But uh, in such an age as this, when uh, men are looking at uh, the inner part of the human body, they're looking at the bones, they're scanning the brain, uh, even watching the blood as it courses through the vessels, and on and on the story goes. Uh, laser surgery now is becoming very commonplace. So we're in a day that men are smart and men know a lot. But at the same time, while they, uh, in those particular areas, there's other areas of life that men have become experts. I heard Paul Harvey make a statement that he had predicted the outcome of the presidential election. He said, I write my prediction, I put it in a sealed envelope, and then I send it to the radio stations a day or two before the election with the instructions it is not to be opened until the election process has all been completed. And without fail, every time he has made a prediction of who the president will be, he has hit it every time. He's never missed it. So in view of all of those facts, stock market predictions, men that are wise to predict what the economy will be, they will tell you 
months in advance of what the interest rates are going to do because those men have zeroed in on those particular areas and they're experts. There are reports that are set with a confidence and with a finality to it, and they presume upon their accuracy, and needless to say, those things impress us. The man that would make an accurate prediction for the last five years of who the president's going to be, if I wanted to know how the political sentiment was, I would feel confident in talking to that man and saying, hey, have you got the pulse beat of how the political situation is now? There's something about it that uh, we're living in that type world. But yet when you look at faith and the report comes back and says there is nothing, faith says I refuse to accept that. It sounds so final. It sounds so conclusive that there is nothing. But I believe that there is a vision that goes a little bit beyond what the natural eye can see. And it says, go to a favorable point and see if you can see anything. Go and search the skies and come back and bring me the report. And when they came back, the servant said, there is nothing. Not much enthusiasm about that. But being the good servant that he was, no doubt he said, uh, shall I go again? Uh, tradition has it that this was the son of uh, the widow of Zarephath. Whether that be true or not, that's beside the point. And I won't go into all of that. But faith is challenged by the facts. There is nothing. But can I have faith that will hold on when the facts have challenged my faith. Brother Charles Triplett, our secretary, is in the hospital now, and without a miracle from God, he probably won't make it. I'm believing God for a miracle for him. And I, I trust that you will pray with us for God to give him a miracle. Uh, his spirits are high, but he is desperately in need of a touch from God. The doctor, one of the doctors that is a very religious-minded doctor, comes into his room and prays with him and talks to him about the Lord. But yet the other day, this doctor looked at Sister Triplett and said to her, Miss Triplett, I am a very religious man. I'm a man of faith. But he said, at the same time, I'm a medical doctor. And he said, I've got to find a balance of my faith with reality. And too many times, I think that's where we as the children of God have found ourselves at the point that we're saying, I believe in God, but yet I cannot deny the facts. So therefore, I, I will have to find a balance between reality and between faith. But I, I'm going to tell you today that faith will look facts in the face and say there is still a hope and there is still a possibility. Praise God. And there are times that faith will challenge us. Are you saying then we should not inquire? I I'm saying you should inquire. And uh, go ahead and send the servant out and let the servant make a good check. Let him scan the skies and let him look and see what's there. But the point that I want to emphasize today 
that don't let your faith be hinged upon a negative report when the servant comes back and said there's nothing. Oh, hallelujah. Don't let your faith be hinged upon that. If you could get a picture of those sun-browned faces as they looked up into the brazen skies for over three years and everything says no rain, no rain. The pools are drying up. And uh, now the king has said to Obadiah, you go out and try to find a little water for the royal stables to be preserved. We've got to find some water somewhere. Can you imagine the parched fields, the cloudless skies? Can you imagine all of the vegetation that's dried up by the hot breath of a continuous drought for over three years? Everywhere they look, it's dry. Clouds of dust, but not clouds predicting rain. Everywhere they look, my friend, it's so easy for us to forget God. And sometimes God has to bring us out of those pastures of selfishness where prosperity has so blindly led us. You take the earth props out from under a man and see how fast he turns back to God. And we may be at the point today that God needs to let our faith be challenged by some facts to say there's no rain. Everything looks hopeless. Everything is dark. I'm not a pessimist. I'm not a calamity howler. But my friend, it's a dark hour for the world today. But thank God the Bible said when the enemy comes in like a flood, then the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Somebody shout hallelujah. Oh, praise God. And if you can get a picture of Carmel as this man is praying for the rain, and we love to rejoice with that part that the rain did come. But just before we get to the rain, let me take you to another scene. And that was when that lone man of God would desire to step out and show that his God is still on the throne. Let me tell you, friend, many times in our desire to do something for the kingdom of God, and please forgive me if you think my spirit is not right, but too many times we wanted the self-aggrandizement. We wanted the praise to go to a man. But whatever we do for the kingdom of God, there must be an underlying principle and an underlying desire that I want it for the kingdom of God and not to glorify flesh. I do not believe that Elijah was trying to be a smart aleck when he called those 450 prophets of the grove and the 400 prophets of Baal to say, put your God to the test. I'm afraid we've halted between two opinions too long. My God's not a dead hero, but he's a living Christ. I'm glad that he is alive today. I'm not serving one that used to part the waters. I'm not serving a God that used to do the supernatural. But I'm here to tell you that God's doing it today. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Oh, too many of us want to look at God as he used to be a great, powerful God, but as if he's an old doting grandpa that's lost his power and lost his strength. But he's the same today as he ever was. Now, if you would go with me to Carmel, before you get the Carmel rain, 
We need some karma fire. And I'm not going to go through all of that story. Time would not allow me to do it. But if you will look at Elijah as he comes with all of the false prophets and he put them to the test. Now there may be explicit promises from God, but there may be times that you see no sign of the fulfillment of that promise. But don't mistake delays with denials. Too many times because God didn't do it on our time schedule, then we say God denied me of what I was supposed to have. There's times that God says, not right now. But if your faith will not waver, the Bible talked about Abraham. And the Bible said that God said, I'm going to give you a son by Sarah. Now, can you imagine the response when somebody said to Abraham, Abraham, I noticed that you're getting to be an old man now and, and you have no children. Where's all of this great wealth going? He said, uh, uh, by the way, I'm going to have a son. Uh, oh, you are? Uh, who's going to be the mother? Uh, that little old hump-shouldered lady. Time's pinch of wrinkles pinch wrinkles in her face her womb has been barren all of her life and now she's past the age of bearing children but she's gonna have me a boy hey there's room for doubt I said there's room for doubt but the Bible said he staggered not at the promises of God. Oh, God, give me that kind of faith. I'm not going by what I see. If I look at an old woman that's past the age of bearing children and she's had a barren womb for all of these years, if my God said she's going to have a son, I don't know how, but faith said she's going to have it anyhow. I don't fully understand all of it, but I know there's times that there's plenty room for doubt. But God said, believe anyhow. And so I want you to look at the fact that the, the servant said, there is nothing, there is nothing. It sounded final. It sounded conclusive. But you see, there was a man that had been to Carmel. There was a man that dared to step out and prove his God. There was a man that called a simple prayer, that called God's power into play. And the supernatural, miraculous power of God let the fire fall from heaven. It consumed the sacrifice. It consumed the wood. It consumed the water in the trench. That same God is in Bogalusa, Louisiana today. He hasn't lost any of his power. Fire is for purging and for purifying. Water is for refreshing and for new growth. But it was only after the fire that he said, there is a sound of abundance of rain. Hey, friend, if we could get back to the altar and stay there until the fire falls, then there would be a sound that we would hear. Hey, there's room for doubt, Elijah, because it's been over three years now. 
The skies are still barren of any clouds. I don't see any promise. Others might have said it might be, but when the day comes that I hear the rumbling thunder and I see the heavens fill with clouds, I'll believe, but not until that time. But Ahab, he, uh, Ahab received the message from Elijah. He said, Ahab, you better get down. I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. That was only through the ears of faith. There's room to doubt that, but faith said, I believe it anyhow. I refuse to give up. And so he went to Carmel, and he got on his knees and said to the servant, go look. And so the servant went and looked, and he came back, and he said, there's nothing. The second time, and the third time, and the fourth time, and the fifth, after seven times, he came back, and he said, uh, there's a cloud like a man's hand. Now, most of us preached it the size of a man's hand. The Scripture didn't say the size of a man's hand. It was as of or like a man's hand. But in my mind, I would kind of visualize that it was probably not a real big cloud. I could imagine that it was one of those little small clouds that began to come out. And if he was looking for a sign, that's almost mockery to look for that kind of a sign. But that's just like God. He's always taking little things and doing big things with it. And I promise you that he can take the small and he can do some great things with it. I hear the Apostle Paul speaking in the midst of a Eurocladon. And some of you no doubt have gone through them and perhaps there's some today that, that you're in the midst of your Eurocladons. And it may, it may look very difficult, but I want to encourage you today and tell you that I don't care how dark it gets. I don't care how long the drought may last. Brother Tenney mentioned going through two years of it. I'm here to tell you that there's a God on the throne that will recognize faith wherever he finds it. And even when there's room to doubt, don't let your faith waver. Just hold on to God anyway. And Paul, in the midst of that storm, he said, Be of good cheers, for I believe, God, that it shall be so even as it has been spoken to me. And I think everybody on board that ship that night must have said, Paul, there's a lot of room to doubt because we've tried everything we know to try. The old seasoned mariners are down on their knees now. We've thrown everything overboard that we could possibly throw overboard. It looks like we're fixing to go down just any minute. But he said, I had an angel of the Lord to stand by me and said, don't you worry. My friend, let the boat rock. I don't care how rough it gets. If my God has given you the word, just hold on by faith. Hold on. Just hold on. The answer's on the way. God's never failed his children. Some of you might have heard me tell this story, but I want to tell it for the glory of God. And I, I do not take any glory. But I have a brother that was found with brain 
tumor that was malignant. The doctors did not think he could live, and it's a long story. I'll bypass most of the details of that story. But I was, I was praying one day after he had been in the condition he was in for quite some time. He had been totally paralyzed on one side of his body for over a year. He had not moved his leg at all in over a year. And I was at our church praying. I was travailing. I was agonizing. I'd been praying for an hour or longer. And uh, if the Lord ever spoke to a preacher, God spoke to me that day. I didn't hear an audible voice, but I heard something that I could never doubt. I knew that it was real. I knew that it was genuine. And I want to be sensitive enough that I can hear God's voice and know it when I hear it. That was important for Abraham at the time that his son was on the altar. It was important for him to recognize that voice when it spoke. And the Lord spoke to me that day and said, if you'll go to Macomb, I lived over 100 miles from where my brother was, and pray for him, he'll walk. And I went home and I told my wife, I said, get ready, we're going to Macomb. She said, for what? I said, God promised me that if we would go pray for Ott, that he would walk tonight. And so we got dressed, and I went to Macomb. When I got there, I called the pastor. I said, I want you to come down to my dad's house. And then I told him the story of what I felt. I called my brother that pastors in Purvis. I said, be praying in about 15 minutes. I said, uh, we're going to pray for Ott. God promised me that he would walk tonight. And so we walked in the room. I suppose there must have been about 12 of us in there, 10 or 12. I don't know exactly. I didn't count them. But we walked in that room, and I told my brother what I felt, and we began to pray. And we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. I don't know how long we prayed, but we prayed a while. And it was just like the heavens were brass. I didn't feel anything. I didn't see anything. And it looked like nothing would happen. But my faith never wavered. Not one iota. Not one iota. I knew God said it. I was claiming it. There's very few times that I've been that sure. There's been very few times that I've been that sure. I could tell you of two or three other times that I was that sure that I knew that God had talked to me, Brother Tenney, and God said my brother was going to walk. And I stopped and I said to those that were in the room, I said, look, I, I hope you will not think that I'm rude. But I said, if there's anybody in this room that you do not have faith to believe that Art's going to walk tonight, I wish you would please leave the room because God told me he was going to walk tonight. And if you don't mind, if you cannot join your faith with ours, please leave the room. We're going to touch God for him. And at that moment, it seemed that there was a unity of our faith as we all began to pray. And there seemed to be a permeation in the atmosphere. And we began to pray, and my brother had been a backslider for a long time. And, and while I'm on that, let me stop. Is Albert here today? Where is he? Wave your hand. Right over there. Been a backslider for 35 years. Two weeks ago in our church, he made his way back to God. Put it all under the blood. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Brother Tullis told me today, said he sits on about the third row. He's right there praising God. Let me tell you, friend, that does something for you. But my brother had been a backslider for years and, and uh, had received a call to the ministry and refused to acknowledge that call. And, and uh, the long story that goes through, but when we began to pray, I, I looked down at him and I saw him talking in tongues. And when he did, there was something that just came all over me. Even though there was room to doubt, a paralyzed leg that had not moved in over a year, I looked at him and I said, Ark, in Jesus' name, move that paralyzed leg. He began to kick that paralyzed leg just like that. I'm here to tell you that faith will still work today. Let's give God praise. Let's give him praise. Oh, praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Oh, needless to say, that was not what made my faith strong. But my faith believed that God was going to do it even when there's room for doubt. Medical science says it can't be done, but faith says it can be done. I'm telling you, friend, we live beneath our privilege today. My God hasn't lost any of his power. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Someone related to me a story of a miracle that someone had died, said they'd been dead for about 15 minutes. They prayed for him. They came back to life again. Some skeptic standing on the sidelines said, I don't believe that. Said that I had brain damage. After you've been dead for 15 minutes, you'd have brain damage the rest of your life. I said, do you think, he, do you think Lazarus had any brain damage? He had been dead for four days. Corruption had already set in. Listen, friend, if God can raise the dead, God can take care of the brain damage. There's nothing hard for him. But I believe there needs to be a new lease on faith that we get a hold of the promises of God. My friend, this world will be attracted by the miraculous power of the apostolic church. Now let me tell you something. I don't believe seeing a miracle will strengthen your faith as a Christian. I know, I know you're thinking right now, but just think a minute. If seeing a miracle would cause God's people to have faith, those disciples would have never despaired in the storm. Because they just left the miracle of 5,000 men beside women and children being fed on five barley loaves and two fishes and left there and got in the boat and then their faith failed them. How about all the miracles that Israel saw? But the Bible said God confirmed his word with signs following. Now, the sinner, when they see the miracles, I believe that it will produce faith in their heart. But the saints of God, their faith will produce the miracle. You want me to say that again? I don't believe miracles produce faith in the saints. I think faith in the saints produced the miracles.
It's not simply circumstances are conducive. I see a sign. I believe it. If I could see a sign. You see, this is what they said to the Lord. They said, Lord, if you would just give us a sign from heaven, then we'd believe you. But Jesus said, a wicked and adulterous generation seek after a sign, but you've got all the signs you're going to have. You've already got the sign. All you've got to do is believe. Even when there's room for doubt, have faith anyhow. So I said, as Ott began to kick that paralyzed leg, I said, Ott, in Jesus' name, get up from there and walk. And he started walking across that floor. He didn't walk quite as good as I can walk. No paralyzed leg that hadn't moved in over a year. He'd do it like that and he'd walk. He walked back across that room. Every reason in the world to doubt. But faith said, he'll walk. Hallelujah. Had a lady in our church not long ago. Went to the doctor and the doctor said to her, do you have any record of diabetes in your family? She said, I used to be a diabetic. He said, used to be a diabetic. There's no such thing as used to be a diabetic. He said, if you've ever been a diabetic, you're still a diabetic. And she said, no, sir, I used to be for four years, but I'm not today because I had prayer and God healed me. It all came about this simple. I told the church one night, I said, my wife is a living testimony that God heals sugar diabetes. And that lady was sitting in the congregation that night. She walked up and said, I'm a diabetic. I want you to pray for me. We prayed. And you know what happened? God healed her. The diabetes was gone. The doctor said, I want to check you. I'm not satisfied with that. He checked her. She said, run any kind of test you want to run. It's not there. God's healed me. And they checked her, and the doctor said, I don't understand, but I know one thing. You are not a diabetic. Oh, listen. We're living in a world today that's filled with suffering. It's filled with pain. And I, I told our church a few weeks ago, it was on a Sunday night that we were praying for Brother Triplett. And I said, I believe that God is going to give us a miracle for that man. And I want you as a church to bind together with me in faith. And a lady stood up and said, Brother Travis, can I testify? She said, I was... I was in the hospital, and the doctor gave me the sad news that I had cancer. And she said, there was a gloominess that settled over the room. We were in tears. And five minutes later, you walked in the room and said it was like an angel walked in the room. And I'm not giving myself any praise for that. I'm only the channel through which God works through. And I prayed this kind of prayer. I said, God, if I ever get to the place that I get any glory for it, don't ever let it happen again. I want to give God the glory that I become a channel through which God's blessings can flow. She said, when you begin to pray, she said, I felt the healing virtue flow through my body and said, the doctors can find no trace of cancer whatsoever. It's gone. And then when, I, when she testified, another one, it, it set off a chain reaction. Another one stood up and said, Brother Travis, 
You remember that I had cancer. It had never dawned on me that out of our small congregation of people, that there were six people that night that testified that God had healed them of cancer. That night, there was five people in that congregation that stood up and said, God, heal me of sugar diabetes. There was another lady stood up and said, I've lost 30-something percent of my vision. And the doctor said, there's nothing medically we can do to get it any better. We'll try to keep it from getting any worse. We prayed for that lady. She went back to the doctor. The doctor said, I've been practicing for 23 years. I've never seen a miracle like this. Your eyesight is perfect. That's the God that I'm serving. I'm telling you, when there's room for doubt, let's turn our faith loose and believe God for the supernatural. Let's lift our hands and let's praise him. Oh, hallelujah. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know, but I believe tonight that it's not in the simply the laying on of the hands of a preacher. I believe that the body of Christ can minister to the needs of the body that you could claim your healing if you're sick today. I don't care what the problem is. My God is on the throne and he's ready to do it. Elijah said, go look again. Nothing. Seven times. Jesus made a statement one time. He said to his disciples in John chapter 16, verse 12, he said, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. First of all, there were some things that the Lord could not communicate to the people. Now, that, that sounds strange to say God some things that God could not do. But let me qualify that. It was not that God did not have the ability to transmit. It was the fact that they didn't have the ability to receive. Any of you could look at your four-year-old son and say, Now, son, I've got to give you a fatherly talk. Now, statistics have proven that when you get in the car that you ought to buckle your seatbelt because there's many, many lives that have been saved by having your seatbelt buckled. And you should obey the laws and not drive over 55 miles an hour. And uh, whatever the speed is in that particular area, observe the signs and do that. Now, you're talking to a four-year-old son. There's nothing wrong with your ability to communicate that to that son. But there is an inability on the part of the son to receive. And when Paul tried to explain this, he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, he said, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. If Paul is saying, in order for me to communicate to you a spiritual truth, I'm going to have to put it on the level that you can understand. And uh, let's compare the dad trying to communicate to the son. 
and it's very it's very impossible because the son cannot receive it the dad can communicate it but the child thinks as a child he understands like a child but then he said when i became a man i put away childish things and then the next verse he said for now we through, see through a glass darkly but then face to face now i know in part but then shall i know even as i am known Jesus could not give them the certain sign that forever erased from them any possibility of doubt. As God made room for faith, he left room for doubt. Because if he would not have done that, then there would have been no room for faith. And let me illustrate it to you this way. Two plus two equals Right. Boy, this is a smart crowd of people. You see, we've been taught that, and that is a mathematical truth that is essential for us to believe. There's no room for doubt. None. Give me one area that there's any room for doubt whatsoever that 2 plus 2 equals 4. There's none. It's a mathematical truth. It's essential. We accept it. We believe it. We have no choice. But at the same time, while I accept that, it adds nothing to my statue or my character whatsoever. It deals simply with the intellect. In this great experience, it is not a set of propositions that we believe or, a, uh, or an intellectual process. I'm not saying that the intellect is not involved in our conversion and in what we do for God. Uh, the intellect is involved, the emotions are involved, and the will is involved. But what I'm trying to say to you today is that faith is a voluntary act. That is an indication of your character, your moral character. It has moral value to it. When you tell me that I believe that 2 plus 2 is 4, that does not add one ounce to your statue morally because all it deals with is the intellect. But when you tell me that you look at faith in God with possibilities that there is room for doubt everywhere. It gives me an indication of that person's spiritual character. Oh, hallelujah. It's a test of your character. What did Simeon say? This child is set for the rise and the fall of many in Israel. What he was simply saying, your attitude toward him determines your destiny. Your attitude toward him there's some that will look with one attitude. There's others that will look with another attitude. So the possibility of doubt lends moral weight and worth to our faith. And so I believe today that when you look at the fact that there is room for faith, 
there's also room for doubt. The Hebrew children, when they stood before that wicked king, and he said, let me tell you something, boys. All I ask you is not to make a big show out of it, but just bow down when the music starts to play. And they said, there's plenty room for doubt. I don't know whether God's going to deliver us or not, but I know one thing. I'm going to hold on to my faith in God. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to bow down. Plenty possibility. Plenty possibilities. What about that thief on the cross? And one of them railed on him and said, If you're the Christ, come down. And the other one said, Listen, you deserve to be where you are. But that other man said, Father, remember my character. But when I say, I believe God, even when I see no indication whatsoever, no signs, even though I have an explicit promise from God, but I see nothing to indicate to me that it's going to take place, I believe God anyhow. That involves more than my mind. That involves my conscience. That involves my will. That involves my emotions. I believe God. Let me tell you, church, if we can only reach the place today that our faith is not hinged upon circumstances, it's not hinged upon situations, but our faith is anchored in Jesus Christ, we can see the supernatural, we can see the miraculous, we can see the impossible. My God is not dealing with possibilities, but God is dealing with impossibilities. He that observeth the wind shall not sow. He that regardeth the cloud shall not reap. But I believe. Somebody said we're living in a day that people are disgusted with religion. I beg to differ with you. They are not disgusted with religion. Our world's disgusted with counterfeit religion. They're disgusted with a sham, with a pretense. They're disgusted with a veneer. They're disgusted with technicalities and ritualism and formality and legalism, if you please. But what the world is hungry for is somebody that can show me the way to Calvary. I believe that there are those today that will say I'm sick and tired of staying in the wilderness and eating a few grapes. But just point the way. I want the whole orchard. I want everything that God's promised for the church. And I believe that in this congregation today there are those that if you will dare to turn your faith loose and believe God, there's not one thing that you can be deprived of if your faith will just reach out and take hold of God. There is a law of faith that's just as strong as the law of gravity. And when there is doubt, when there's room for doubt, you see, God could have said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you enough evidence that you have no, no alternative. You've got to believe. The Lord could have given them the sign from heaven that there would have been no room for doubt whatsoever. But the Lord said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to leave it as a test of your character. You can believe if you want to. You can doubt if you want to. Believe and receive out and do without and that's the philosophy of many today but oh god i believe that there's a church that is daring to latch on to faith and to say i refuse to give up for anything less than what god's promised 
And I'm closing. There was a man in Pioneer, Louisiana that was dying with cancer. They'd gone far enough that they'd done a tracheotomy. Lady in my church came to me and said, Brother Travis, my brother-in-law is not a Christian, but he's dying with cancer. Would you go and pray for him? We went over and prayed for that man. I gave him a few testimonies of God's miracle power and what the Lord was doing. I told him of, a, of an incident that happened right here in the city of Bogalusa, the first church I pastored here. Man had 51 operations in 18 months. The doctor said there's no way to live. They, we, they had doctors from England. They had doctors from everywhere with that man. They left an opening in his side for the corruption so they could change the bandage. He got a pass, came to our church. The doctor had given him the sad news. If you have a, any arrangements to make, make them. You can't live. We found two other cases in the world. Yours is the third one. You're dying. We can't help you. We prayed for that man. Tuesday, I walked into the hospital room. He would smile from ear to ear. He said, Brother Travis, that side's not run. Another bit of corruption. Two weeks, they dismissed him. He went home, a well man. Months later, he came and stood in our pulpit and testified that God's healing power is still real. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I told this man in Pioneer, Louisiana, I said, look, this cancer is no harder for God than a headache. All you've got to do is have faith and believe God. We laid hands on that man, prayed a simple prayer of faith. Nothing happened. I didn't feel anything unusual. I left, went back. Later, I asked the lady, I said, how's your brother-in-law doing? She said, amazing. It's a, it's a shock to the family. They can't understand it. He's well. He's going everywhere. The doctors gave him a clean bill of health. They said he's all right. I saw his brother about two years later. I said, how about your brother? How's he doing? He said, riding his horse, hauling in hay, doing anything he wants to do. That's the God that I serve. He's not a limited God. He's not bound to a locality. Anybody that will believe the miracle is yours. Room to doubt. Have faith in hell. I walked into the hospital. Child had spinal meningitis. Doctor said it can't live. We prayed a prayer of faith. Touch God. The next day, I walked back into the hospital. And that mother said, Brother Travis, your steps had hardly died out in the hallway. And so my child woke up and said, I'm hungry. I want something to eat. In a few days, they sent the child home. Well... We had a little baby in our church just two or three weeks ago, maybe a month ago. Went in the hospital. They checked the spinal fluid and said, I'm sorry. The child has got spinal meningitis. They treated the child. It got worse and worse. They transferred it to the University Hospital in Jackson. When they transferred the child, they said, the doctors in Vicksburg have done all they can do. But maybe we've got more modern, modern means that we can do more to help the child. I looked at the mother and I said, I'm not telling you that I've heard from God. But I said, I've got a strong feeling in my heart that they're not going to find anything in Jackson wrong with that baby. I said, because I think God's already done the work. They ran that child through every kind of test they could run it through in Jackson. 
They said, we don't understand that, but there's no spinal meningitis. And not only that, we can't find a thing wrong with that child. Let me tell you, friend, that's the God that I serve. He's your God. He'll do the same for you. I don't know how I felt to preach along this line, but I feel that I've obeyed the Lord today and telling you that there's some room for doubt and you want the Lord to remove all the doubts out of the way and say, God, if I could know beyond the shadow of a doubt, my friend, don't wait for the cloud, but get a hold of the faith that produces the cloud. And in this building today, no doubt, if you only knew how many people are taking sleeping pills and sedatives, you would be shocked. That's not the will of God. I'm not condemning you, and I'm not saying that if you cannot have faith that you should not get assistance somewhere. There's been times in my own life that it seemed that I tried to have faith as hard as I knew how, but I just did not get a hold of it. But my friend, I've got the answer from the book. When that servant said there is nothing, and in this modern technological age, when everybody is saying, I am an expert, I know what I'm doing, and this is my prediction, I'm going to say to them, you think you're an expert, but here's the expert that's talking, and faith says it can be done. It can be done. And I'm going to ask you if you need something from God to release your faith and in the next three minutes God can heal cancers God can heal sugar diabetes God can heal mental disorders God can remove depression God can remove oppression my God can do anything that we'll believe him for if you'll just release your faith in him today And if you want something from God, I want you to stand to your feet right now. And I want you to claim it. My God, have mercy. My God, have mercy. Faith when there's room to doubt. Faith when there's room to doubt. I claim it. There is nothing. Just go again. Go again, go again, go again, go again. You say, I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried. Just go again, just go again, go again, go again. In the name of Jesus Christ, so be it unto you. In Jesus' name. Come on, lay hands on somebody. Lay hands on somebody right now and pray that God will do something for them. It's yours. It's yours. Claim it. <laughs>